I've said before that we live in a broken world with broken people, and the workplace is just a small part of it. Leaders become tone-deaf to the damage they're creating for people when they take from others in order to give to themselves. The long-term impact of this is that a business will limit its potential growth and profitability as foundations of trust crumble. To me, it's just sad and sick that somewhere there's a trade-off for people where it's acceptable to treat folks poorly because you employ them. There are plenty of people out there who've created massive wealth and treat people correctly. The two outcomes are not mutually exclusive. I believe that my role as a business owner is to enable and encourage people for however long they are with me to prepare them for their next step in life. When you're sitting inside some big corporate cog and no one is giving you purpose or sharing with you meaningful results from your work, you're in a soul suck. But when you can go home at the end of the day and tell your loved ones that your work saved 20% of the jobs at a company or solved a problem for a family, you can't wait to go back and do it again and again. The key to running the kind of business that attracts the best talent and achieves the best results is beginning with purpose. In this episode of Here We Grow, Marcia speaks with Jana Hagman, president of T&H Investment Properties, about her transformation from an attorney to a purpose-led business owner focused on making affordable housing available to those who need it. Well, today I have one of my dearest friends with us today for the Here We Grow podcast, Jana Hageman, the CEO of T&H Properties. Welcome, Jana, to the podcast. Yeah, today. thanks, Marcia. Excited Good. to hang out with you. Yeah. You and I always have trouble thinking of things to talk about, so I'm sure this will be a slow roll today, right? <laughs> I know. We usually expect to talk a few minutes, and it goes at, like you know, a right, lot longer than that, right. so I'm excited. There, me too. I am excited about today. T&H Properties. Now, when we have two initials like that, they always stand for something. Um, tell our audience what T&H stands for and what it means to you folks at, at your business. Well, it's kind of funny. When people first see it, they think the H stands for Hageman, which is my last name. Right. Um, but actually, it stands for thankful and humble, which are two of our values. So you know how when you're, you're sitting and you're trying to create a name, I thought, oh, I want thankful and humble. But I didn't even think about the fact people would think, oh, the H is Hageman, who's the T? I'm like, no, 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 thankful and humble. Like, we want the business to be for our values, not just a name. Right. And it's not just putting those words on the values, but you actually are in a business where those values come to life. Um, talk to us about what, those, that, what thankful and humble mean inside the business. Well, I always say at TNH, like our values are the backbone of our company. I was really excited because we did an employee survey and 86% of our teammates said that they think that we live the values really well and they live them um, every day. Oh and I'm goodness. like, yes, when you have construction and property management, especially in a time when things are just economically in turmoil, that is a, that is a really good. Right. So I was pretty excited to see that. So our values are love what you do, do well by doing good. Family culture, mm. do the right thing, work hard, work smart. And I always go over our values. When we hire somebody, I bring them into the company, I let them get settled for a few days, and then maybe 30 days into it, I just sit down and say, hey, I just want to share what these values mean to me because they're the backbone. I review on values. I do quarterly conversations on values. We hire on them. So it's really important that people align with them. And I say, you know, love what you do. If you don't love what you do every day, you're probably not going to be happy at T&H. Right. And one thing that's funny, I was interviewing a guy for a construction role. He was really, really good, high quality. Um, we were chatting, and he said, man, 
you know what I've always wanted to do? I'm like, what? Tell me what you love. He's like, I've always wanted to be an airplane pilot. I'm like, oh, interesting. Like, how'd you get into construction? And he said, well, my grandpa's in construction. My dad's in construction. I just always grew up around it. And I'm really good at it. And I said, do you love it? He's like, you know, I don't know if I love it, but I really want to be a pilot. I'm like, you're 40 something years old. Go be a pilot. <laughs> Go wake up and do the thing every day that you love, right? Right. Uh, I don't know what happened. Like, I didn't hire him for the job, but right. like, people need to do the thing they love because it just makes a great quality life. Yeah. So each one of our values, I explain like that to say it has to be the core of who you are um, or else you're not going to be happy. Right. You know, that may have been the first time that that gentleman ever was given permission to be a pilot. Yeah. It, it would be interesting to see where, where he takes that. But yeah, that's, you know, that's something that's lacking in the world is folks, um, folks don't give us permission to go do the thing we're designed to do that we're passionate about, right? And the amazing thing is you can find people who absolutely love the thing you hate. Right. Right? And I'm always amazed when I meet, like I have my partner. He loves complicated, difficult government negotiations. Mm -hmm. Like he gets into that and he loves it and it fires him up. And, and I look at that and I'm like, that's not my favorite thing. Right. And I can't believe there's anybody in the world that loves this, but he loves it. Yeah. He's great at it. And I just think that's key. Like if everybody in their seat absolutely loves what they do, not nah, doesn't mean you love it every day, <laughs> right, right? It right, doesn't right. mean every day is perfect. But if in general you feel like you're doing the thing you're called to do, yeah. man, it's beautiful. You know, I'm reminded of when we first met, one of the things you were struggling with was, um, you know, we all have the home front and the business front, but you're not real crazy about all the things that need to be done at home. And you were really looking for a solution on that. Um, you didn't like it. For me, I shared with you, I don't mm -hmm. like those things. I'm not good at them. I take, it takes me a lot longer to do them than other than normal people. And then Maggie came along, right? Yes. Man, I tried for a while to do the home stuff. I have some friends who are so amazing at it, um, and I'm just not. Like Maggie came along, so she actually was a really good friend's daughter, a really mm -hmm. um, strong Christian, and just loves to help, right, right. and loves to serve. And I met her, and I thought, you're going to be perfect, because the first thing she said, if you know my husband, he's really budget conscience. Right. So when we yeah, were interviewing her, <laughs> the first thing she said, he was give, asking her some questions, and I was asking her some questions, and she's like, well, I'd have to like understand how much it costs recognize if it's in a budget, and then I'd make a decision. I'm like, you're hired. Yeah. You're a Christian, you love children, uh, and you think budget. So yeah. you're going to be our girl. But it was funny. Here's a great example of this. Um, I think as women, we can sometimes feel like if we don't do it, we feel shame. Right. Right. Yeah, we think we have to do it all. Right. I'm not clean doing the toilet. If I'm not picking up the room, if I'm not making dinner, I'm not fulfilling my job as a mm -hmm. female, and we feel shame and guilt. Right. And I've learned that if you can rise above that, Oh, man, there's there's beauty up there. And an example, so we had a chili cook-off at the right. office. I was actually there before I was here at the chili cook-off. <laughs> and um, Maggie made the chili for, for Shane and I. Yeah. And so a whole email goes out to the company, and you know everybody's bringing their chili. And she responded accidentally to the whole company, great, I got Jan and Shane's. And I, I got emails back like, oh, no fair, that's cheating. <laughs> like, it's not really, you know, and I thought, no, it's totally not cheating. Like, Maggie's making the chili, and we're going to work together. And if you don't want to get a stomach ache, it's probably best if Maggie makes the chili. Oh, if, right? <laughs> if I made the chili, yeah, we're going to be, I mean, I can make some okay chili, but she makes some good chili. So yeah. let's all go for the good chili. But it was fascinating to see the reactions, right? Right, right. Where people felt like, oh, really? Maggie's making the chili? Like, how, does, how do you feel about that? Right. I feel real good about that. 
Right, yeah. The part of the story with Maggie that you don't know is um, Jack Frisbee, our mutual dear friend, her father, mm-hmm. asked me um, a few years before you met her um, to meet with her and talk with her about her career and what her aspirations were. And I didn't coach her. know that. Oh, I had forgotten about it until just now. Yeah. And she sat down with me and she said, at the end of the day, organizing things makes me very happy, like Mm -hmm. taking a closet or a kitchen or a drawer or a system or laundry and getting it organized so that it flows better and work and the work can be done in a better way and more quickly. That really jazzes me. You know, Mm -hmm. that basically was what she was saying. And in my mind, I was going, that sounds miserable. But you could see the joy on her face as she thought about trying to figure out a career where she could do that. Now, fast forward, and here she is doing that with you. And that that was what she told me years before was her thing that made her so happy. Yes, and she <laughs> loves it, and it makes me happy. Right. I mean, there was a moment in my marriage with Shane. You know, we both run companies. Right. Um, I'll never forget big this. Big companies, big responsibilities. Big yes. responsibilities. We have two amazing boys, mm-hmm. uh, Conrad and Christian. We have a lot of family involvement in our life, which is such a blessing. But I'll never forget this moment. We were up on a family vacation in Wisconsin, and we pulled into the parking lot of Walmart because in Anago, Wisconsin, that's the only place you can go get something. And I just, he said, this isn't working. What we're doing isn't working. What are we going to do? And I just sat there and I thought, you know what? If I just work one or two hours more, I can stay up till three or four in the morning. Like, I only need two or three hours of sleep, right? Like, I can get it all done. I can do my job. I can be there for you. I can be there for the kids. Look great. Be sexy. Yeah, look be, great. Be charming. All the things. I right? just need two more hours. And, you know, I, I realized as I started crying in the car, at some point, there's no more hours. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Right. Uh, and I was killing myself trying to do everything to make everybody happy. And he said, you know, it was really hard on our marriage. It was really hard on the business, Mm -hmm. hard on our boys. And that's when I said, I got to hire, I called Maggie. She was working for me part-time. And I said, what would it take to get you to be full-time? She was like, I would be delighted to be full-time to work Mm -hmm. with you. And um, she started the next week and it has been life-changing for me ever since that moment. Yeah, this wasn't our intended topic that would add value to you listeners today, but I think we want to go a little further on this one because I had the same thing happen to me. Uh, you know, you feel like you have to be Martha Stewart and and the business leader. Yeah, you have to fill all these roles, and doing anything less is failure. And um, so I years ago, and this is how I coached you on the journey mm-hmm. to Maggie. Well, years ago, I found that there were people who could do it better than me, faster than me, um, be, uh, and enjoy it more than I could, and that getting somebody to help me. So I have a house manager as well, Ashley, and she makes my life palatable and Mm -hmm. everybody else around me benefits from it too, you know? So just, I would encourage um, the women who are listening to us and some of you fellows who are doing the same thing of seeing your home and your family as chores, find a way to help get somebody to help you with that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're blessing somebody else in that too. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I've had, I mean, so many times I've told the story of women, and women get it with cleaning sometimes. Right. Um, it's ugh, Cleaning is a hard job. In high school, I cleaned hotels for two years, and that is a hard job. Right. I always tell my housekeepers that we hire in property management, I get your job. Like, you're tired at the end of the day, right? It's You're sore. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, cleaning's hard. And I think as women, when we can find someone who's willing to come in and help take that off of our plates— we, I don't know about you, but I talk with my friends, and they are so grateful. Right. Why didn't I not do this earlier? 
right? right? Why did I not make this decision earlier? And it's kind of how I feel about Maggie when I tell my friends who are just trying to do it all. If you bring in somebody else that can help, who loves what they do, Mm -hmm. um, it's a blessing to them and you'll find that joy again. Yeah. And Ashley enjoys um, experiencing the things that happen in the business because she's part of the the, the uh, math formula, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she travels on mission trips. She travels with me on speaking engagements. She puts on events here to share um, the love and servanthood that we aim for in our business as well. And those things give her joy and were, were allowed her to experience things she probably wouldn't have in her normal vaca- vocation, you know? Yep. You know, Maggie gets to play, and I think the you know, she makes these beautiful charcuterie boards. She's an art major, so she's very gifted. Yeah. And she may, and she's like, I can't believe my job is I get to do this. I'm like, I'm so grateful your job is you get to do this. Right. So, yeah. Well, who knew God had a plan when I landed with Maggie, and a few years later she landed with you. And now here we are being able to share that abundance and information with other people and encourage them and give them permission to, right? Yes. Um, go out and get some help, yeah. Yeah, you ever need some encouragement, find, look me up online, like right. give me a call. Right. I we'll got a great job description. We'll help you get connected, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Good. So that's a little bit about managing the home front. But the other thing um, in your marriage I've noticed about you over the years, you and Shane are very purposeful on um, creating a healthy, vibrant marriage um, to support your family and the other causes that God calls you into. What are some of the key things you guys do? I know you go, you go to a coach every few years. I've seen some of the documents that come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on marriage, but I, I do know one when I see it. Um, so t- can you share with our audience some of what you're doing to allow two executives running major businesses in our city to be able to thrive at home as well? First of all, I'm very lucky to be married to a very wise man. Shane was given the gift of wisdom. Um, he's wise. He discerns. He thinks through things. He's the most loyal person. And I'm more of a visionary, like, oh, let's like shoot first, ask questions later. Let's dive in. Let's try something new. I, let's make it happen. I have a lot of tenacity right. and a lot of execution. So when we first, we, we fell in love very quickly. And when we got engaged, he said, I think we need to start therapy now. I remember I was kind of hurt. I'm like, what? What's wrong? Like, we're in, we're in bliss. We're in engagement bliss. And he said, you know, I run a closely held family business. You're super ambitious. We were in law school um, when we got engaged. He's like, I think if we start now, we'll be able to build the tools so that maybe five or ten years down the road when it gets hard, we've got this, this, this experience and this tool belt to be able to tackle things. And that's Shane's mind. He's wise. Um, and so we did it. And, man, is that awesome. Uh, man, has that helped us in our marriage. And it's not just that instance, but it hit, it's his wisdom and mm-hmm. being able to say, I know you don't see this now, but if we invest in this today, five, ten years down the road, there's going to be a lot of fruit from that. Um, and in the beginning of our marriage, I think I fought him on that a lot. Like, no, I, that seems like a lot of work. Like, why would we do that now? And now I've grown to just naturally trust that gift God gave him, like mm-hmm. that gift of wisdom and discernment. And when he says, I think we need to do this today because in five years it's going to pay off, I'm like, sign me up. Right. Like, I am in um, because I trust that. Yeah. So I think in marriage it's important to look at each other's gifts mm-hmm. um, and really trust that person in, in seeing, like, okay, I may not understand this, and they, this may not be how I do it, but I trust you and I'm all in. And knowing what not to. So if right. Shane says, hey, I'm going to cook dinner tonight, and I'm going to try to make it healthy, um, I'm not going to be trusting that. Because he's tried to do that a few times. And 
curry with skim milk. <laughs> it's disgusting. So I joke, I'm like, babe, I trust you in your wisdom and discernment. I don't trust you to cook a healthy meal. Yeah. You know? And that I think we can eat, yeah. that we can eat. <laughs> and I think in marriage, he, we've formed that, that kind of understanding together. Yeah, it's remarkable. And uh, Conrad and Christian, eight and nine years old, um, we recently uh, went on a mission trip together into Mexico to build a home with Homes of Hope, your, your family and me. Wow, those boys, they're something else. <laughs> oh, they are. They are all boy. Oh, they yeah, are. They're the, on the moon. The babies. Yeah, they're, they, were, they were excited about building a home for someone in Mexico. But they did not want to compromise on the meaningful work that they wanted to do. Like, they didn't want to just go and play. They wanted to use power tools and hammer nails. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first day, I remember when they came back, I said, so how did it go, boys? And and, uh, Conrad said, I I pounded 185 nails. (laughs) And all the other adults on the build were just so impressed with the way the boys were working, you know. Um, So what what a great job you've done with them. Um, I did notice, too, we talked earlier about Shane and budgets. Um, on the second day, mm-hmm. when they, your boys came back, I asked them how it went, and your family had gone on the grocery trip yes. with the Mexican family, and the boys said, Mom blew the budget. Oh, I did. <laughs> you know, they gave, they collect money, and you get to go to uh, Walmart and kind of bless the family, and I, I blew the budget. And I, yeah. man, those boys gave me a hard time for that. But They did. I, I told Shane, you're the only man I know who has an 8- and 9-year-old who are already budget conscious. <laughs> And you know, something we did with our boys, I, le- I um, encourage this because what I learned from starting marital therapy, you know, my son Conrad's nine. Um, right. Oh, you, you know him. He is a sweet, oh. thoughtful, oh. just a good boy. And he's such in such a good place. Mm-hmm. And I've talked with some of my friends who have boys who are, you know, 15, 16, 17. And some of the things they're faced with in their life, um, the decisions, the kind of environmental impacts right. are are significant, especially mm-hmm. around like social media, things that other boys say and talk right. about. And so what Shane and I talked about is we want to give him some tools to figure out how to navigate the world right now at an early age so that he's set up at 15 or 16. So we actually started working with a child psychologist oh, wow. and, and hired him and said, hey, you know, Conrad's in a really, really good place. We want him to start seeing you. And he said, well, he met him, Conrad, and had a session with him. He's like, Conrad's fine. Uh, why don't you come see me in a few years if something changes? But I don't see a need to be, you know, paying for this right now. And we said, that's why we want to pay for it right now. He's fine. Right. And we want you to teach him about how to handle um, difficult conversations and how do you handle your emotions and girls and all of these things that maybe he won't want to come to us. I hope he wants to come to us. But I'd love another adult. He's a former pastor with a Christian values to speak, to, to have a relationship with Conrad where he feels like he can speak into you. You, you can speak into his life. Right. And obviously we're going to try to find coaches and teachers, but mm-hmm. like, let's start this now. It was interesting. You said, no parents ever asked me that, but that makes a lot of sense. Right. So it, it sounds crazy even to think that he had a hard time processing that too, right? Like this isn't usually where I see people at, you know? I usually see them in crisis. Yeah, we go get help when we're at rock bottom. Right. And I'm like, let's go get help when we're actually in a really good place so we can, when we hit rock bottom, like have the tools we need to get out of it quickly. Right, right. Well, it's definitely evident in the way the boys carry themselves and their, their, the way they experience the world. So you're, you're doing great work there. Let's flip back to business. So we've got teenage properties. Tell me how you started the business. So I started off as a real estate attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working in real estate at Bozeman McKinney Evans, which is a, a larger firm here in Indianapolis. 
I was like working these deals and closing these deals. And I just saw this risk the developers were taking. And I thought, I think I could do this. So I, I'm a, um, the way that I kind of move forward and make decisions, I like to talk to a lot of people who are smarter than me, get there. You can kind of pick up a pattern of um, perspective and then I make a decision based on that perspective. So I just started talking with people in the industry who I really respected and said, I'm an attorney, I'm a female, I love people, I love Jesus, um, I love risk, and I love complicated things. What should I do with my life? Like, what would you do if you were me? And they, and you know, I kind of got this, well, there's this thing called affordable housing. Um, it's really community development focused. You do real estate, but you create projects that really can bless people in a significant way. It can be very profitable. Women and minorities usually have an advantage in this space. And it's really, really hard and complicated. And no, that's why people don't do it. It's like a big, complicated jigsaw puzzle. And if you have the grit to put that puzzle together, you might really love it. And I thought, that sounds awesome. Like, yeah. And so that's how I got started. I started TNH and um, dove in head first with no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so you started in 2013, I believe. So I started in 2013, yeah. and then I did my first, I got my first what we call award, so my first tax credit award in 2016. And, um, and didn't people tell you that should have taken a really long time to win your first one? Yeah, it usually is. It takes a long time to yeah. win your first one. Oftentimes, you don't win your second until you completed your first. Mm -hmm. but I think I did like four in two years. Oh, wow. Um, so I went all in. And I think a lot of times we're afraid to do things because we're afraid we're going to fail. Right? Like, right. I'm not going to do that. What if I fail? What if I look stupid? And one thing I've learned is, man, I look stupid all the time. But you, <laughs> you do not. <laughs> but you can usually, like, work your way through it. Right. I remember I was sitting in a meeting with our banker, and I was trying to negotiate a loan for my first deal because you have to put construction debt on it. And he said, well, how many basis points are you thinking? And I said, well, how many are you thinking? And, you know, usually if you ask a banker a question, they'll talk for five or ten minutes. So I knew it bought me some time. And I Googled what is a basis point on my phone <laughs> while he was talking to me. And I got, I'm like, okay, I got it. I know what it is now, right? And then I could have the conversation right. with him. But how many times I've had to do that where I don't know the answer, mm -hmm. but I have to find it and right. figure it out. And I think people are afraid to do things right. without knowing the answer. Yeah. So today, um, Teenage Properties is, what kind of revenue are you going to do this year, 2023? Yeah, so I look at revenue, like our company, we look at total contracted costs. Right. So if we're doing a you know $20 million apartment complex and right. we're contracting for that, I, can't, I consider that like revenue. Right. So I think this year, I know right now, I think we have about $180 million yeah. under development. And then we intend to close another $120 million in 2024. That's remarkable. And it's not just business for you. The business is going along. You know, and we all had COVID upsets, and I walked through a lot of that with you and how you were managing the changes in supply chain and what was going on in the world. But it's really a remarkable, consistent growth story. Um, but it's not just business. It's ministry to you, too. Um, there's this piece about homelessness and special needs that you're filling as well. Um, what is it that you find that affordable housing does for you in connecting what, what God's calling you to do um, to reflect his character in the marketplace and what TNH does? And I tell my team this. I do a quarterly meeting with them every, and kind of go over the company, and I tell them this. I believe that housing is a catalyst 
for us to be able to get to people, to be able to improve the lives of people in a significant, meaningful way. And, you know, you have churches and churches have you know, ministers and leadership groups and they reach people. They reach their congregation. They reach people in the community. I don't think I would be a very good pastor. I don't have, God didn't call me to be a pastor of right. a church. I have, there's some things about me that probably wouldn't be so pretty, you know? I like to, like, you know, I think we've shared this. Sometimes I do swear, and right. I, sometimes I like to have a few glasses of wine. So maybe I could be a Catholic, but I can't be Catholic, can I? So I found that God called me a pastor a company, where I, instead of ministering to a congregation, I'm ministering to team members. Right. And I think at first I thought, oh, this is great. I'm ministering to my employees, and we've seen people come to Jesus. We pray together as a team. Mm-hmm. Host, I host Bible studies um, at some of our properties. But now I'm seeing God didn't just call me to pastor a company. We're pastoring the residents. Right. We're pastoring politicians who we're mm-hmm. like, talking with. We're pastoring the subcontractors right. whose daughter now can go to college because her dad got the framing job. On. And it's really cool to see that wasn't what I anticipated. Mm-hmm. So I tell my team, like, yeah, this is really hard work. Um, it's really difficult. But we're, like, impacting people's lives in a really significant way. Um, it's so worth it. Yeah. You work in an industry that you've told me can sometimes be seen, developers are sometimes seen as the big bad wolf, right? Yes. What are you doing to flip that on its on its head? You know, I'm calling it out. Yeah. It, it, I'll be, you know, talking with a city and sharing what we want to do. And you can just see in their eyes, they're like, okay, well, mm-hmm. you know, we this is all we can offer you. And I'll just say, you know, I know a lot of developers can come in and demand a lot from you. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what happens. They come in. This is what I need. Give it to me. Give it to me. Uh, And I said, we have a different perspective. We have a different way. I feel like I'm here to serve. Right. I'm here to help. Uh, That's our tagline. Like TNH, we're here to help. Chick-fil-A has, you know, my pleasure. It's, hey, we're here to help. Mm -hmm. So I tell the community, I'm here to help you. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you need. Tell me what you can offer. And I'm going to build something around that. I'm not going to come in as a developer and tell you what we're going to do. Right. And so we really treat it as a partnership. I've even had times where I go into a community and say, here are four options I see that would really benefit your community. Um, Here's the different prices. What do you want? And I let them choose. I've had neighbors who are really, you know, have this like, oh, develop bad developers say, okay, you want to name the development? Do you want to help pick the brick? Do you want to be a part of the team? Like, Mm -hmm. we value your opinion. We're not just going to come in and do what we want the way we want to. We want this to be something that ministers and loves on people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that slows things down. So it can slow down progress. Sometimes you get pink when you tell the mayor they can pick the brick. I have one one very pink building um, (laughs) that I thought, well, I told him he got to pick the color. It's a pink building. But at the end of the day, I just think there's beauty in kind of approaching that with a more servant leadership perspective. Yeah, when you invite people into the process, right, it, it, it tends to all, always make everything come out better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, you um, you like to use some of the capacity of the housing that you've built to help um, the homeless. Um, that's something I've admired about what you're doing there. How did, how did that happen? It just started with, you know, my first project. We decided it's a senior housing project, right. so it's affordable senior housing and we decided to set aside seven of the units for seniors suffering from homelessness. Right. And it would be integrated. So it's 60 units, but seven would be for seniors suffering from homelessness. And everybody told me it's not going to work. No, like Nobody does this for seniors. And I thought, oh, let's just let's try it. Let's give it a shot. And so the amazing thing when you're dealing with the homeless population, 
it is difficult, right? You can't put a microwave in a stove in their unit. I mean, it takes, it's a different kind of uh, development, which is why people said you can't do it integrated. But there are so many people in the city that will wrap around that with us, right? right? So if we say, hey, we're going to do this, I have Gallahue Behavioral Health. Like I have Mm -hmm. Family Promise. I have on HP. There are groups that say, yeah, and we'll come wrap around and we'll help you. Mm -hmm. We'll provide services. They'll even provide rental assistance, right? Right. They'll provide um, amazing things. So I think for me, I have loved integrating homeless um, housing into our projects because I have great partners that can help. Where you get in trouble is when you integrate it and you have nobody that can help. You can't just leave somebody with no no support. Right. So for me, just it's very rewarding and fulfilling. Although I will say the increase of fentanyl, right, and Oxycontin oh, and all of that has made it very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, because people are hurting and they're suffering and that stuff is it's it's been really hard yeah. to deal with. Yeah, it's definitely become blight on our country for sure. Um, and, you know, you and I are both from Ripley County originally. Would you have ever thought you'd see the day when it was that big of a deal in the at home in the rural environments? I, I, I certainly wasn't expecting to see addiction at the levels that it is today. No. And sometimes when it comes to addiction, you know, the thing I notice is you people get this pers- very judgmental perspective, yeah. right? And I'm not a TikToker. I am a millennial. But there is this TikTok I got hooked to. I actually felt God calling it me to it. It's called like Tales from the Streets. Mm-hmm. And if you go to this, you see this gentleman who's literally going and talking with people who are addicted to mm-hmm. fentanyl and oxycontin and asking yeah. them their story. And they share their story. And it's, it's, it's you, your heart just bleeds for them. You want to help them. Oh. You can just see that they, they have, they made a bad choice. Right. Uh, they had some trauma. They made a bad choice. They tried something and they're stuck. Right. Right. They're stuck in this and they can't get out. And man, it just made me feel so much empathy and mm-hmm. figure out like, how do we battle this as a nation for these people who a lot of, I mean, we have a lot of them living in some of our affordable housing complexes. Right. And I don't know. It's just, it's not, I'm just, I feel very called to love and serve that group of people. Right. Where I think maybe a year or two ago, even before watching that TikTok video, I may have felt more like, I don't know if judgmental is the word, but oh, that's not, that's not my group, right? right that's right. not my people. Yeah. But now they feel like my people. Right. Yeah. It's pretty close to home for sure. You know, you're just running this fantastic business with a great culture. And one of the things that I like that you are producing consistently is transformational results. You're transforming communities with affordable housing. Um, you're transforming the workspace and you're transforming the brand of developers. Of, it's not a big bad wolf. It's a community partner to help people thrive, right? I like transformation stories. I like seeing people go from here to there where there's a noticeable change in substance or form in somebody's outcome because of a change mm-hmm. that has happened in them. Um, when have you seen somebody go through transformation? And tell us about how that felt to you and what that looked like. Ooh, I want to hear. Will you tell one? If I tell one of my transformation stories, will you tell one of yours? Sure. Yeah, I'll do that. I think I've I've shared. Man, I can think of a lot. I've been very blessed to see a lot of beautiful transformation mm-hmm. stories. Um, you know, God continues to transform my own heart. He did it last night when I, you know, had to put my ego aside with something I was, you know, arguing with my husband. But I think. The transformation experience that's most impactful to me is to see what God is doing in transforming the lives of the people 
working at TNH. Right. Um, and I know I've shared this with you a little bit, but it's to the point now when someone joins TNH, especially at the leadership team level, I warn them a bit. Say, God is going to work on you. Um, he is going to work on you. If you have things you've been struggling with, um, he's going to work on that with you here. Right. And you're going to be in a really safe space where people are going to support you through it. But just be ready for it. Like, be ready for whatever that thing is. I don't know what it is, but be ready for it. And, you know, people are like, oh, oh okay, Jana, like, you're so, you're, you're such a nice person. Like, thank you for saying you. But they don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then they join, and this experience happens. It's happened to every single one of my leaders where God had to work something out of their life to be able to thrive at our company. Um, he had to work something out from their ego to be able to thrive at our company. He's done it with me multiple right, times right. as the leader. And now what is beautiful, you know, we just had someone join and God's working some things. And I was able to say in this meeting, stop, because, you know, he was sharing. We knew what's going on, right? He's sharing all this stuff. He's like dealing with it, home and in work. And I said, raise your hand if you've felt what this person's feeling at right. TNH. Raise your hand if you have your own journey where you've had to you've been hit with some stuff and you have to work something out that you weren't anticipating. And every single leader raised their hand, mm-hmm. right? And I said, we got you. Like, we know what you're going through. I know you haven't experienced this before at another company. This is part of the TNH journey. Um, and we got your back. We're here for you. And just, that's powerful. Right. That's powerful. Very, very much so. Always, there's always such, so much more potential than what we can see on the surface, right? And believing mm-hmm. in that and, and calling it out and cultivating it is always um, something I've enjoyed really in a big way. Um, you know, many years ago, probably 20 years ago, um, in my call center in Ripley County, um, they were trying to hire a girl from VV's, which is about, what, what would you say, to Milan would be maybe 30, 40-minute drive. We had, we had hired several people from VV. And um, I finally made a rule. Don't hire anybody from VV again. It's too long of a drive. They'll say they can handle it, and then they'll quit pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And Misty calls in, and she's from VV. And they tell her, well, we really haven't found that that's a good idea because of how long it takes to get to work. And she kept calling back and asking for the job. And finally, I relented, and we hired her. And um, we were, at the time, developing another person to be the next manager on that team. And Misty comes in, starts working there, and she's, like, answering more calls with better results than anyone else on the team. And I'm not talking, like, 20% better. I'm talking mm-hmm. four times better. Oh, yeah. Better. That's and awesome. It was unbelievable, the productivity that that young lady could get. And so um, it came time to put somebody in a manager position, and my two existing managers were developing this third person. And they're him hawing around in our conversation about putting Rebecca in the job. And I'm like, what is it you guys are not saying? And they said, we really think Misty should be in this. And I said, well, she's only worked here for six weeks. We haven't spent that much time developing her. And they, they go, but Marsha, she accepted the night shift and switched to night shift, and she's getting four times more production than anyone else. Um, we just think that it would be easy for her to show other people how to do that. So I said, well, let me interview her. And I sat down at the interview, and I asked her one question. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Um, Rebecca and Shannon, or uh, Courtney and Shannon tell me that you're doing four times more production than anyone else on the team. And she said, yeah, that's what they, very humbly, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what they've told me too. And I go, can you teach other people to do that? And she said, yeah, I think so. And I said, all right. You're hired, and we're going to spend the rest of our hour making the plan for how you're going to do that. And sure enough, within six weeks, we had 
maybe not four times, but three and a half, you mm-hmm. know, um, it, as part of it was she was just so um, driven to hit numbers, right? Yeah. And when you start to pass that around many people, then it can be harder to get that complete four. But she got three and a half, and that was just business changing. And, you know, she went from that position to um, running a sales team, to training salespeople, to running a call center, um, into being our VP of sales. And next thing you know, she's running a 500 business, 500 person team in a $400 million business. Oh, that's amazing. You know, she's building homes in Mexico. Mm-hmm. She's, she, she, she found Christ in that journey. That was kind of funny. We had it, not funny, but her peer on our team, um, on the way to work, um, one Monday morning, uh, 35 years old, pulls over to the side of the road. Shoot. <laughs> pulls over to the side of the road, dies of a heart attack. So that was rough. Um, it was her best friend, you know. Oh, it was her best friend. <clears throat> it was her best friend, absolutely. Two or three days after we buried Brian, she texted me and said, I need you to help me understand John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. She's asking to accept Jesus. And so I helped her walk through that. And then her second question to me is, because um, I asked her, she said, what should I do next? I said, read the book of John, and we'll start talking about that together. So the first time we get back together, she says, okay, I think I, g- I get it, but I'm really confused about what's the difference between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's her first question. Yeah. That's a big question, and I go, um, so anyway, we worked through that. But what a blessing it was to walk through her, both in her development and her faith, her development professionally, um, her marriage, the way she served other people, the way she served her family. Um, it was just a remarkable experience for me, and, and I know it was for her, too. So, and That's like what I think of the whole point. Right. Right. People say, like, why do you work so hard? Why do you do what you do? Why, what's the whole point of life? Like, yeah. man, that's a piece of it, isn't it? And I didn't do it. I just got to participate in mm-hmm. what God was doing in her. Yeah. Right. And that's so much fun, you know. And if you can just put yourself in that flow where God can yeah. use you to do his work, like that is a good flow to be in. Yeah. It's, it's, I like, it's, that's such a beautiful story. I'm really grateful you shared it. And it reminds me of just how good it is to be in that flow. Yeah. And how blessed we are to get to have those experiences. And how good it is for us to do that together. Mm-hmm. I've, I've enjoyed our friendship and it has conversations like this one in it all the time. I have really valued getting to know you and being in this life together with you. Yeah, yeah. I've valued getting to know you too. One of my best friends, Marsha, but I think you probably have a hundred best friends, so I'll, but oh, I'll, be, yeah. I'll be one of a hundred. <laughs> you are definitely very, very, very uh, important to me. And and I'm just very thankful you've reached out to me to get for us to get introduced and, and get to know one another. So it's been a total joy. And as this conversation has been a total joy today, too. Thanks for coming on and helping our folks figure out what it means to grow inside their businesses, professionally, personally, spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a lot going on, girl, and I admire what you and Shane are doing over there. It's just fantastic. Yeah, and a whole team takes a village, so... Grateful Absolutely. for the family and friends that keep it, keep me going. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for your help today. Yeah, thank you. Loved it. Loved being with you. Love your team. It was, yeah. it was awesome. Thank you for joining us for Here We Grow. This show is proudly brought to you by Valve and Meter Performance Marketing. Be sure to check out the show notes for exclusive content that will help you become a transformational leader. 
For more, visit mathbeforemarketing.com slash podcast.